Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak of all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Fred Carey is an internationally known entrepreneur and business leader with over three decades of leadership experience, transforming businesses that have resulted in billions of dollars in corporate value. His success stories cross boundaries from the world of finance to software, mobile tech, data, retail, consumer products. The list goes on here. As CEO of IdeaPros, Fred has helped hundreds of brilliant entrepreneurs find their purpose and create their legacy. And in this one, we discuss Fred's early days in law and music, how he transitioned into entrepreneurship, the shortcomings of the venture capital model, and what he's trying to fix, what character traits are important in any founder, and so much more. With that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is Fred Carey. You know, it's funny, I was doing some early research and, you know, I know your background as an attorney, but going back to you as a child, I think at one point you were a musician. When did the passion start as it relates to entrepreneurship? Well, speaking of being a musician, I went to newspapers.com and tried to find this old article about me when I was 18 in my rock band, The Ox, and which is a great name. I still love that name, O-X on the bass drum. Yeah, it's just beautiful. But... I tried to find it. I couldn't find the story, which incidentally was on the cover of our local newspaper and ended up being a story about how too many decibels can hurt your ears. They said it was going to be all about us. It was about us, but it was in a bad way. But I was trying to find it and I found on newspapers.com instead a, a classified ad of me when I was 16. I was uh, on the ad, gave my address, 420 Cherry Hill Boulevard and my phone number, 756-6857. It basically said, I'll do anything. I'm available 24 7, 24 hours a day. I'll mow your lawn. I'll watch your kids. I'll help with the dishes. I'll paint your fences. I'll move trash. Whatever you need me for, uh, I'm there for you. And don't worry about the time. I'll make it happen. So I think that was kind of my very first foray into entrepreneurship, trying to, trying to hustle and make money on the side. But yeah, music uh, became my the first entrepreneurial journey for me. I've always kind of wondered this because I am a musician also and, and very passionate about music in general. Do you think there is a correlation between the importance of creativity and becoming a startup founder or creating something of value? I really think so. And, and, and there are people a lot smarter than me that have shown that people who have musical tendencies and want to explore that avenue are really a lot more free in their brain, uh, the ability to think both on the mathematical side of it that music does require and on the creative side of things means you get both sides of your brain firing off. And uh, I, I think that is an advantage. And there are a lot, uh, and in fact, I didn't know that about you, but there are a lot of people that I run into that are entrepreneurs that say, oh yeah, I play the guitar, I play the violin, I play the flute. 
and still do in, in their spare time. I have my guitar downstairs that, that I use, and I, I manage to crank out two or three songs a year that I write. You say the VC model is broken. They lose money on 90% plus of their deals. You say Idea Pros is turning the VC model on its head. What is Idea Pros all about and where does the disruption to the VC model come into play? I don't think the venture capital market and, and strategy is broken. What I think is it's meant for the elite. Mm. Less than 5% of entrepreneurs have an ability to go through venture capital. And they do lose money on, on over 90% of them in, in most cases. And they pick very wisely and still lose money 90% of the time, betting that those 10% will give them the 10, 20, 100x that they do get. So it's not broken in that sense. Broken in the sense that 90% of uh, folks that they help are not going to make it. And on top of that, the 95% of all entrepreneurs are never going to have that opportunity. So how my model is different is I take those 95% of entrepreneurs and I basically turn the table. Pay me instead of me giving you money and you're going to burn it. If you're the best of the best, you have a 90% chance of failing, according to venture capital models. Hmm. Pay me. We will build it. We will build it with you and we will train you along the way. So when we build this Formula One car, when you come out the other end, you'll be an experienced driver ready to win races. So you become a partner effectively. How do you find the right businesses to get involved with? And you say, you know, they pay you, you bring a certain level of value to this organization. What is it that you bring? Typically, the person that comes to us is a, somebody who could be listening to you, an executive in a company. Typically, they're 35 to 55 years old. They don't fit that kind of entrepreneur model that venture capital is looking for. And they're really well-seasoned, money savers. They're really going up the ladder, which shows how motivated and experienced they are, but they hate their lives. And they come to me typically, historically, when they type in, where can I get my app built? Hmm. And my ad comes up and says, look, you're about to make the biggest mistake of your life. You don't need an app. You need a company. You don't need an app developer. You need a co-founder. And we happen to have co-founders in our company with a collective 200 years worth of experience. And you're about ready to pay $150,000, $200,000 for an app, a road to nowhere. What you need is to understand what your real value proposition is, who those customers are that really need that and really want it. Then you build the app to connect those two things. We'll do all of that with you as your co-founder. You're going to pay us $100,000 instead of $150,000 to an app. We will build a whole company. We will train you as an entrepreneur, we'll give you access to capital. We'll give you our connections, our methodologies, and our experience. And we're going to build the app for less money than you were about to pay. You know, you mentioned the idea of value proposition. I've watched some of your content in the past, and you say that a lot of founders actually don't understand what their initial value proposition is. For example, if we go back to you know value proposition 101, who's the customer, what's the problem, what's your solution, and why are you different? This is something that most founders that you speak to simply don't understand. Is that true? So the number one reason for new business failures in the United States is that that founder has created something that there's no demand for. That's, the, mm -hmm. that's above not having money. 
you've made something that nobody wants. It's like being a coach of a team and not even knowing what sport it is, not knowing who the competitors are, not knowing what their strengths and weaknesses are, not even knowing how to get that audience to become your fans. You don't know any of those things and you jump into this new business. Very smart people do very stupid things when they want to go out on their own and do something they've never done before. And, and historically, there's been pinpoint solutions. Where do I get my app built? Here we are, we're a thousand app developers. There's all these pinpoint mm -hmm. solutions, which basically is akin to, hey, I have uh, brain cancer. Where can I get help? Oh, here's a brain cancer machine that you can use. You know, there, there are these pinpoint solutions that are not meant for somebody just going out in business. What they need is a brain surgeon. And we're the kind of entrepreneurial brain surgeon in, in that sense. You know, and we're to date the only ones really doing it and and taking this holistic approach that what you need is a co-founder, not an app developer. What are some other classic founder mistakes that you've come across? <laughs> well, the, that most glaring one is that not doing that necessary research to really understand not only what you have, not only knowing that product market fit, but also understanding the competitive landscape that you're in. You know, that's huge. It's hard for founders to name competitors in some cases. But I think that the next biggest thing is equally as important is this myopic head down approach to this is my idea. It's fantastic. And I'm running with it. The inability to pivot. The inability to collect information as you're wading through this waterfall of entrepreneurship and change direction when everything is pointing to the fact that you need to change or you're going to die. We fall off the cliff repeatedly because we're just marching down this one path and we're not listening to what's happening in our environment, either our customer environment, our competitive environment, the macro environment that the world is in as Airbnb found themselves in overnight losing 85% of their business because of COVID. They were already a billion dollar company. I think they'd be all cushy, fat and happy. They lost 85% of their business. Within two weeks, they pivoted to virtual experiences and they had celebrities and well-known people all over the world giving free courses, doing meditation with lambs in, in Ireland, in one case, chefs in another. They completely pivoted in order to survive. And we as founders, especially first-time founders, aren't willing to take that pivot, even when it's going to lead us in a better direction. So let's talk about the macro environment for a moment because you brought it up. So we're in an interesting environment right now. High inflation, interest rates at a 20-plus year high. A lot of the VC dollars have, in fact, dried up. So when you look at the macro landscape, do you think now is a good time to incubate a business? Why or why not? And moreover, what industries do you feel are ripe for founders at the moment? As far as you want to go back, some of the greatest companies in the world were started in bad times. High inflation, high unemployment, dried up capital, they all came from there because it's a time to kind of entrench yourself, put your head down. When you have an environment like that, the ability to obtain resources rises because people are losing their jobs. Companies who are competitors are shrinking and you have an ability to start in the perfect time because as you build your sailboat, by the time it's built, those winds going to come and drive you to where you need to go. And I would argue 
th- this is a kind of strange environment. I wouldn't be so sure that inflation is going to keep going up. I wouldn't be so sure about the hardships. The latest reports show that spending, consumer spending is at an all-time high. Inflation seems to be tapering down, and I think they're going to have one little additional jump in the interest rate, but I think I think we're at the end of it. And the reality is there's more capital available now than at any time in history. It's just very stingy capital. Now you can't say dot .ai and get a big check. You certainly can't go big with crypto or with fintech even nowadays. But you have a really good plan, a really good story, the right, very competent people leading what you're doing, you can get money. It's there burning a hole in private equity's pocket. They need to unleash it. They're just going to be very careful about who they deal with. What do you look for? I mean, you can't get involved with every business that approaches you, right? At some point, scale becomes a problem. So you have to be selective. What criteria is Idea Pros looking for? in a business, in a founder, in a team? We really screwed up when we started. And, and most of the people that come to us are, you know, there's no team yet. It's a founder. And when we first started, we were really looking for a good idea that we could turn into a great idea. And a founder that had enough money to, to afford us because if you don't have skin in the game, you're not going to work as hard. If you do, then you're not going to quit. But what we didn't look at is the kind of personality and makeup of the founders in the very beginning. But that is probably the most important things that you can look at. Who is this person? What are they all about? How hard are they going to try? Are they going to quit? Are they going to give it their all? Are they going to work on weekends? Is, you know, when, when I talk to my staff and they go, yeah, it's Friday. I tell them, yeah, only two more work days till Monday. And that's the way I approach life. You know, I'm going to work on my projects seven days a week. I know you have to have a work-life balance at some point. However, if you're a founder and you're just starting something, you've got to work your ass off. And if if somebody's not willing to do that, if somebody doesn't have the mentality of, I'm never going to blame anything else. This is my show. This is my rodeo. This is my horse. And if I get bucked off, it's on me. I got to get back up. That's what we need to really find in a founder. If we find that, then we know, even if the first foray doesn't work out so well, we'll huddle up with them. We'll pivot and we'll come up with a better way to tackle a real problem that needs to be addressed. Are these pre-revenue companies for the most part? Yeah, they're not even companies. They're an executive in many cases that hates their life. They're Mm. very successful in a lot of Mm. cases. A lot of the folks that come to us are making more than $250,000 a year and they don't want to be there anymore. To me, the real measure of success, no matter what you're doing, it's a real litmus test. You know, when you wake up in, your mo- in the morning and you put your feet on the floor, are you smiling? And if you're smiling, the chances are that you're eager to face that day because you're doing what you want to do. And a lot of people that are otherwise very successful, they come to me because they don't smile when they put their feet on, on the floor. They don't smile at all. They hate their lives. They, they feel miserable. They're accomplished, but they want something that's more fulfilling in the remainder of their lives. You mentioned this idea of investing in founder personality types. And you didn't do this early on, but you do this now. Now that you have hundreds of businesses under your belt, both from your own experience as a founder and with idea pros, what are the character traits that you look for in a founder? 
What makes for a good founder, in your opinion? Well, there are elements that you need right from the very beginning and other things that you need to be able to shine at later. And the things that you need right from the very beginning is to understand what you're trying to do is impossible, but you persevere. The perseverance part of it is the difference between failure and success. Even Elon Musk, his last rocket failure, if if they'd had one more failure, he would have lost everything. But instead of turning around, he sat there and watched and it took off and uh, he was able to get a whole bunch more money into his deal. But he would literally have lost every single penny he had uh, had he not tried that fourth time to get SpaceX up. So it's that character, the perseverance, number one, ownership, number two. This is on me. If there's a failure, I'm not going to blame anybody I'm working with. You know, it's that kind of dedication and perseverance and never say quit, never realizing that you're failing because you're using that opportunistically. Those are the things you really look for in the very beginning. And then I also want to have somebody that's capable of being a good leader. That's the thing that comes later. Leadership and entrepreneurship are almost enemies because when you start your entrepreneurial journey, you're by yourself, you're doing everything. You're the marketing guy, you're the collection agency, you're going out doing business development, you're building out what it is, you're dealing with manufacturers or app development companies. So you're this kind of one-armed, Paper hanger, as my dad used to say. But as your company grows, you need to build really good people around you. Really, you know, when they say that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, it really applies to building out an organization. You want experts in every one of those fields that are better than you at what they do, and you need to let go of the reins. You need to understand that leadership means going last. Like if you're meeting with a whole bunch of people, you're meeting with your executives, you're meeting with your employees. Let them talk first. You talk last because you have this heavy influence on the direction of your organization. If you don't allow the others to have free voices, then you're not going to get anywhere near where your potential is. So I look for that leadership trait as well, even though it's not going to be put to use right in the very beginning. Okay. So perseverance, accountability, ownership, leadership, obviously, these are all important things. When you come across executives who are making 250k a year and they come to you with an idea and you begin to suss out whether or not this founder is the right person to take the leap into entrepreneurship do you ever advise them not to do it because of what's on the other side like are you ever in a position where you tell someone to their face hey i don't think this is for you i do have that talk with every single person that comes into it i'll even do mentions regarding apps and and regarding patents, uh, if it's a physical product. For example, there are 10,000 new apps every single day going into the app store. 10,000 a day. Name the ones that you use. It's probably a small number. And patents, 97% of patents never get produced. Overwhelming odds. And so when you're going to leave that cushy nest that you have and go into the wild blue yonder, you have to understand that the odds are against you. And by the way, you may, you might fail. The average entrepreneur takes two and a half tries to have something that's successful. That's a statistic as well. So your very first venture, the odds are against you. So if you understand that and you're willing to go and you're so passionate about this, you feel this is part of your purpose and you need to do it, then let's go. If you don't feel that, nobody can talk you into entrepreneurship. It's got to be eating you up inside. You got to be waking up in the middle of the night with your little notepad next to you, writing down 
another component of that idea because you're dreaming about the damn thing. That's when you know it's time for you to go. And if you don't feel that and you need me to convince you to be an entrepreneur, you're never, ever going to make it. You know, this element of risk or, or appetite for risk is a big thing. You've talked a lot about the sleepless nights. You yourself have had many businesses in the past. You've had some amazing successes, some failures in between. What were some of the hardest moments for you looking back? Well, I don't even have to look back for hardest moments. I'm going through very hard moments now. You know, when I was talking mm -hmm. about earlier about pivoting, always need to be ready to do that. And with Idea Pros, We've literally been drinking through a fire hose. I just decided, well, this is going to be a great idea, and I'm going to help a lot of people that are not going to get help otherwise. And we've had 100,000 applications, 100,000 people, $10 billion worth of people saying that they would give us 100,000 and 30% of their company. And we've done 400 deals. And so over 99,000 people that came to me for help weren't able to get help. And on top of that, the model that I had is not sustainable to get to a billion-dollar company. That's my goal for Idea Pros. So in February of this year, I stopped taking new partners, which is kind of debts for most companies, but I threw a bunch of money into Idea Pros, and I basically said, putting our head down, figuring out how to make this better, and then we're going to relaunch with a new company with a whole variety of services and products. And that's what we've done for the last few months. We kind of reinvented ourselves which all starts with now and ideapros.com starts with free memberships. And we're working through a traditional sales funnel that starts at free, then a few hundred dollars, then a few thousand dollars. And if you make it through all those things and you want a co-founder at the end, then you can sign up for our program. So the, this has been very stressful. It's taken a lot of my energy. It's taken a lot of my own capital back into the company. But I think if you're on a journey and you're doing things well, we generated over $24 million in revenue in, in just the last three years, you know, growing every year. And I put a stop to it. That's a really hard thing to do. And you're constantly second guessing yourself, especially when you're writing a check to yourself, you're second guessing what you're doing. But if you have a vision to get to a certain level and you know the path you're on is not going to get you there, then you got to change paths. So obviously you have this challenge with idea pros, you've had quite the resume looking back. Your company track record is fantastic. So let me just rhyme off a few highlights here. So imagine communications goes to 20 million in top line revenue in just its first year. Path one, that company was acquired. Box lot, same thing, acquired. City loan, you grew a small local lender into a multi-state company with north of 30 million in revenue. That company was acquired. Home Bistro, another company that went public, I think circa 2020. When you look back on your resume, what companies are you most proud of? I think some companies that I did supposedly was impossible. Boxlot was was a good one. You know, Boxlot, we started out as an auction company chasing after eBay. They, they were nine months ahead of us. We had better things, better auctions, and we just couldn't move the needle. We, we really couldn't get any traction. And we'd already had investors in the company because it was boxlot.com. And, and back then you could have crap.com and people would throw money your way. So I had a choice of either shuttering the company down or really looking at where we are and what was really needed in that industry. So and that's something for all you founders out there. You know, sometimes you're in the right place, but you're doing the wrong thing. And that's why pivoting is so important. You, you have to kind of manage where you are, figure out, hey, am I in the right room? And maybe I'm playing the right song. 
And so I changed Boxlot into a technology company because I really looked at the space. The reality was there wasn't very much technology to support auctions. You know, you'd have to go in there, you'd place your bid, then you'd go back, see if anybody outbid you, place another bid. And so we spent a year developing technologies that automated that process that let you bid or buy. Uh, they had reverse bidding where you're starting at a number and working your way down. There are all sorts of different technologies that we built out that didn't exist before. And within 18 months, we were offered $125 million by a public company. And that's something that was just going to shudder. So that turnaround was pretty amazing. Another company that I'm particularly proud of is Path One. I actually started it the day after 9-11, uh, which probably, you know, and there's another critical time period, right, where you can build companies out of. But Path One, uh, basically the argument was that you could use the internet to backhaul very, very intense live high definition video from sporting events. So before Path One, there was no high definition live football games, basketball games, baseball. I would go on stage and talk about Path One technology and how we were going to enable live HD events by being able to come back home from stadiums to the studios in LA or New York. And then they would, they would be edited and sent on a satellite and, and broadcast throughout, throughout the country. And you folks who think you're watching live television, you're usually five, six, seven seconds late because of that process. Mm. So I, I wouldn't. Not literally get booed off the stage, but figuratively I would because the internet's the best efforts network. You know, you take your content, it breaks down into a million little pieces. They all go their disparate ways and they join together at the other, other end. Pieces can be missing and you're kind of screwed. So it was not meant to be a stable vessel to do that in. Our technology sent two packets, uh, every single little packet. And so... On the opposite end, our technology would look, oh, I got this one already. I don't have this one. So we really made it bulletproof. And the first HD live events from sporting arenas and fields and stadiums came because of Path One technology. You know, looking back, Path One, Boxlot, Imagine, these companies are incubated and grown between 1997 and 2007. And then at some point, you decide to take a three or four year hiatus from entrepreneurship and you jump into investment banking, joining a team out in Italy, I believe, over the course of several years to head up their Western operations. And it wasn't very corporate. It was a very small, very driven team. In fact, the ones in Italy are Americans, expats. They were one of the companies that helped take a former company public. I think Path One, they, they helped with Path One. And they approached me afterwards like, hey, between radios, come and do this for a couple of years. And I thought it would be a good learning experience for me to get on that side of the field to really understand the finance side of it better. And in a couple of years, we raised $2 billion with a very small team. We were on the cover with the biggest bankers in the world on almost every issue that we were involved in. And it was a great learning experience, but it was the same as my experience with law. I was really good at it, but I, I didn't wake up with my feet on the ground happy. And so I, after a couple of years of that, then, then get back into entrepreneurship. Looking back, do you feel 
really proud of your track record. Do you think Idea Pros is the legacy that you leave behind at the end of the day? That remains to be seen. I don't feel proud. Uh, that's not in my character. I always feel I could have done more, I could have done better, I could have had better results, I could have helped more people. It's just a nature that keeps me working seven days a week. But Idea Pros can either be the best thing I ever did or, or the biggest flop I've, I've ever made. You know, the jury's going to be out on that because the problem that I didn't anticipate is that, you know, you're the daddy to 400 companies and you're growing and uh, all the kid, all the startups have fires almost every single day. When you take part ownership of uh, those fires, then there's a subset of those entrepreneurs that don't have one of those characteristics that I said earlier that you have to own it, right? And and the fact that there's somebody else involved, the people that don't want to own it, it's good to be able to blame. Like if we have an app and there's a problem with the development cycle and it's taken longer or the first version of it doesn't have everything that they want and I want, typically it's going to be my fault. And so that part of it I didn't anticipate. And that part of it's really hard for me because I really go all out and try as hard as as I possibly can. And so the jury's out on that one. We'll see. But but my goal is to make this the biggest thing I've ever done. Now, wishing you the best with Idea Pros and beyond. Idea Pros for more, ideapros.com. People can also find out more about you at fredcary.com. That's fred, C-A-R-Y.com. Where else can people follow you, Fred? And you've got a big launch coming up, I understand. Yeah. So people can also follow me on Instagram. I have 535,000 followers on Instagram. It's uh, official Fred Carey, C-A-R-Y. Every day I do one post and it's motivational, at least I hope it is. It's either about entrepreneurship or about personal development, about following your passion, your purpose. That's free. So go on there. That the way, ideapros.com, free membership. We could give you all sorts of content every single week if you're thinking about entrepreneurship. And on the uh, 20th and 21st of September, it's kind of our relaunch of Idea Pros. We're going to be at the business show, thebusinessshowus.com. It's in LA at the LA Convention Center. And I've been invited to do um, master classes for the two days to the 15,000 entrepreneurs that are going to be there. So if you're in the LA area, the tickets are free. You just go to thebusinessshowus.com and you can pull out free tickets. We're in booth 720 and 721 is where the master class is going to teach you how to grow a company, how to pitch in even in hard times. And at the end of each day, I'm going to teach you how to kind of realign your life so that you're purpose driven in everything that you do. I think it's going to be really worthwhile. And it's going to be a great relaunch for Idea Pros. Awesome. Well, Fred, best of luck for the show upcoming. Enjoy your time in LA. Thanks for coming on today, man. Really appreciate your time and your insights. I appreciate it and I look forward to working with you on a bunch of stuff in the future. Thanks, Fred. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter until next time make today count with whatever it is you're working on
Oh, welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.